Hi everybody, the Complex PTSD Guy here. I'll start out by saying that I'm not a doctor or a psychologist. I'm just someone living with complex PTSD and I'm sharing my own ideas and experiences. Today's podcast is going to focus on some changes that I'll be taking in the next few months in my personal life. Both changes were influenced by some people in my life. One is a former colleague and one is a former volunteer that I used to volunteer with. One of these topics relates to my complex PTSD, um, and that is my career change. This goes back to that old incompetence concept that I've discussed numerous times on here, and that's my own concept. And the other is my civic participation goes back to how I think I should approach history, and I'm very much out of the box on how to approach history, particularly at one historic site that I'm going to talk about. The first is my career. So I've mentioned I technically have two careers. I'm a licensed massage therapist, and I have been for 13 years. And I also have my bachelor's degree in history, and I I work in historic preservation. So I have two jobs, two careers. The massage career is what I'm referencing first. So about two months ago, one of my colleagues who works at the spa that I work at, she decided to open up her own place. She's an esthetician, so she does facials and waxes. She was really worried at first about the volume of clients she would get. She didn't know if it would be a big fail on her part, and maybe she wouldn't have enough clientele to earn a living and leave the spa that she's at right now. Well, I saw her the other day, and she said just in the past two months since she started her business, she's officially going to leave the spa that she works at where I am, And she's now averaging about 60 clients a month at her own place. That's a lot. That's probably about four or $5,000 a month. That's really good for someone who just opened. And she's done no advertising. It's just people knowing people and word of mouth. I have thought for years about just running a a space and decided after the beginning of this new year, 2022, I will just go ahead and try it out. I actually already have a contact of where I could rent and um, I have some friends who are helping me with some of the technical things. One big reason I finally decided to do it is because I estimated that if I only had just six or seven clients in one week, that would technically make me about 200 or excuse me, 2,000 or more dollars in a month. I was really shocked when I sat down and did the math. That's a lot of money for such a small amount of clientele. And I technically would only have to work two days a week. So I could keep my other history job and bring in three times more money from doing massage on my own than what I do currently at the spa. And I only work two days at the spa. And if I choose to do it full time, I would make about $4,000 a month. That's about $1,000 more than I make right now between both of my jobs. I had to take into account the amount of laundry I would have to do and rent and utility payments, but it would still be really good money at the end of the day. One reason this relates to my complex PTSD, in my opinion, is that old incompetence feeling of what if there is some little thing about owning a business that I do wrong and I get in trouble or something. That is why I preferred to work under someone else for so many years. But one helpful thing in relation to that is that I have some friends who own their own business And they told me that they do their taxes quarterly. That's been one of my biggest fears is not making sure I save enough to pay back on taxes at the end of the year. 
So knowing I can just do them quarterly, that's very comforting. And you're, you're giving, in a way you're almost giving less because you're doing it so often. Even though at the end of the year, you're basically giving the same amount. Another key thing that makes me more confident in opening my own practice is that right now, because of the effects of COVID on our society, there are a lot of people wanting massages. There's different reasons for this. And spas in America are really, really desperate for massage therapists and estheticians right now. Everybody's been saying this. They're very desperate. My old spa that I used to work at even emailed me last month and asked me to come back because they're desperate for workers. And we frequently have people calling at the spa I work at now to book appointments and there's just a huge lack of availability. We're just always booked up because there's not as many workers. In America, the restaurants are like this too. Many are severely understaffed. Some drive throughs aren't even open anymore because there's not enough workers. My personal take on this is that because of COVID, many people don't want to work jobs that could be shut down again if the virus goes wild in the future. These jobs, in a large way, include spas and restaurants. The same goes for daycare in this country. That's why there's been such a dilemma for people who have toddlers. It's affected how often and when they can even work at their jobs because of lack of daycare facilities operating. I know some local women who left their own careers and just decided to open a daycare. Um, One was they had to watch their kid, and two, they had to earn a living by watching other people's kids. But back to my point, this is why I think there's an even bigger demand for massage therapists right now. It appears less people are entering the field due to fear of shutting down, or they're so the public is so stressed out from COVID, and in America we have a lot going on in media and political divisiveness, so people are probably just stressed and they're wanting a massage. That's one big reason I stopped watching the news back in September, and I tried my hardest to just stay off anything related to social media influencers or anything on social media. There's, it's too toxic and it's too obsessive. It's not good for PTSD, as I talked about in a few podcasts back. You could say this podcast is social media, but in my opinion, I'm not trying to divide people. I'm trying to help people, so I see it differently. In fact, I don't even have any sponsors for this podcast, and that is largely intentional. If you have sponsors, you are somewhat beholden to them, and that leads down a rabbit hole. I'm not going to talk about that, though, today. The other topic I wanted to mention that is a recent development for me came about when a guy that I used to volunteer with, he called me about a week ago. I think I've mentioned long ago that between 2013 and 2016, I was a tour guide at a historical farm that was part of the Underground Railroad. I will point out that many of my listeners on this podcast are from England. And for those of you in England, or even America, who don't know what specifically the Underground Railroad was, it was basically American slaves from the South running for their lives to get to freedom in the North and to Canada. It was not an actual underground train, a railroad. There might sometimes be a few tunnels you would crawl through on somebody's property to hide, but usually you were just hoping some nice person might help you by covering you up in a wagon 
and taking you somewhere or making your own journey on foot hundreds of miles with a gun in your hand and hoping no one catches you, particularly the slave catchers or their dogs. Usually people think of Harriet Tubman. She was a much bigger figure because she didn't just escape slavery. She went back to the state she escaped from and helped tons of people, hundreds of people, um, estimated to escape. She went back 13 times. That's why she's so well known. But the Underground Railroad was in a lot of states, Underground Railroad, and I happened to grow up in a town where about 100 slaves traveled through over a 20-year period. The way I got into this was I was asked years ago to do an internship at this farmhouse. I never sought this out. Um, A man approached me. Um, I ended up stopping volunteering there around 2016 because some new leadership came in, if you can call it that, and I didn't like their approach to how they were telling the story, so I ended up leaving. Well, anyway, getting back to this guy who called me last week, he is actually the guy who got this site and other Underground Railroad sites in that town to where they became tourist sites. The very first day he did a tour, he had 2,000 people show up. I'm not exaggerating. And this is in Morgan County, Illinois. The county is just west of where I live now. When this guy got these sites going, it was when I was just coming out of high school, and I remember hearing about them. This guy and I actually sort of traveled in similar circles back then, but we didn't know each other. I was asked years later, when I was back in college studying history, I was attending a Chautauqua historical talk, and a state historian approached me and asked me if I wanted to do an internship for him at the farmhouse. The farm, by the way, is called Woodlawn Farm. Uh, My old neighbor lady had actually been a volunteer there for years. She lives right next door to my parents. She still lives there. I agreed to do the internship, and it was really interesting. I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of it. Well, long story short, after a few people had left or passed away around 2015, 2014, some new leadership came in, and I hate to say it, but the new leadership, one of them was never there intending to talk about the history of the site. He was maintaining the grounds. And the other one, I don't know how much history she really knows or studied in college. I don't even know what she studied in college. She used to be a school superintendent, so maybe she studied teaching, but I don't know that she studied local history, particularly... I don't think either of them studied African-American history, like myself and some others have, particularly this man who called me the other day. This man doesn't really care for the new leadership, and he asked me if I would come on board and sit as a member of the committee, because he basically is going to take back the leadership at this site, because he said that the current leadership is altering its mission, and I agreed to do it. So if the new leadership quits, I'm part of his backup. It's kind of like a coup, in all honesty. I mentioned to him that I went to Alton a few weeks ago and told him how I wanted to see where the abolitionist preacher Elijah Lovejoy was murdered and how me and my friend didn't have time, but then surprisingly our tour guide ended up talking to us about the Lovejoy monument. She took us to it. And this guy who called me, he said that stuff happens to him all the time, and we both agreed it's not a coincidence that this stuff happens to us. I've had that stuff happen to me several times, and... It's usually in relation to men who are connected to this farmhouse I'm talking about, or they're connected to the Underground Railroad and abolitionism. Two other men were Barton Stone, who I think I talked about in an April 6th podcast, 
And the other one is Elihu Wolcott. All of these guys were preachers, by the way. I'm not an overly religious person. I just happen to study this stuff. If I haven't talked about Elihu in the past, you can actually find me talking about him on YouTube. I did an interview with a local PBS station. The video is titled Lovejoy Hall, Jacksonville. My longtime neighbor Mary, who I mentioned a little while ago, she's actually in the video too. I'm in the video a little later after the 15 minute mark. But the eerie thing is that just before I was scheduled to do this video, like the day before, and this has been planned out for weeks, um, I was reading, I was in the archives of my, my college, and I found out that a play was done in the 1930s about the founding of the church in the 1830s. It was the 100-year anniversary, and the man who played Elihu Wolcott, that man lived in my house. Um, his name was Mr. Spink, because I called my mom and said, didn't this guy live in our house? And she said, yeah, and I said, well, he played Elihu. And that's what I'm t- talking about in the video on PBS. Anyway... What are the odds I would end up talking about the same guy that he played? And this guy he portrayed and I spoke of, I personally think, my own opinion, I personally think he is the root of what became the party of Abraham Lincoln. And without what Elihu did, this will sound far-fetched, the American Civil War and the end of slavery might very well not have happened. Because if you don't have Lincoln and emancipation, you don't have it. And this guy led to Lincoln. And I explained it in the video, so watch it for yourself. But this guy is very overlooked in history. Anyways, joining this committee is a real commitment, basically. And I don't know about you, but with my complex PTSD, commitments are not the easiest thing for me. That is, maybe it's the trust thing or a fear thing, I don't know. That is, until I started looking at things from a healthier viewpoint. And not looking at things politically, religiously, or from our country's current divisive viewpoint, media sensationalism, not philosophically, because those viewpoints cause my mind to overanalyze everything. And it's just not a good way of looking at things. I'm going to look at this historic site for what it is. It's a historical farmhouse that used to have black laborers who worked for the family and the laborers lived on the property. The laborers were not slaves though, because Illinois was not a slave state technically. Um, In this particular site, they were not. When a slave family came through one night to this farmhouse, it was the perfect hiding spot for them because there were already black people at the site. So if you saw black people there, it was not unusual. And the owner of the farm, who was a white man, was the most respected man in town according to history books so he was trustworthy so people never suspected him of harboring slaves and if you focus on the black laborers at the site more which is what i always used to tell people you should do you can talk about everything at the site you can talk about farming you can talk about the animals they took care of you can talk about jobs that black people typically did in the area at that time which a lot of it was coal mining and working in a animal factory which came a little later you can talk about differences between slavery and labor you can talk about foods that they cooked and gardening they did and you can talk about the relationship with the family and you can talk about how the runaway slaves would have hid amongst them in plain sight in case they needed to postpone the journey for a few weeks they could kind of 
hide out there and no one suspected it because his family was not a loud abolitionist outspoken family they were very much not like that Um, so it was a perfect hiding spot so it all makes sense I call the site a reverse plantation from the optics if you were driving by in a buggy in the 1850s you would have seen black people working in the fields and the farm owner was originally from a southern state most of the abolitionists were from New England so this was just a perfect hiding spot to eventually get out and get to your freedom it was genius I will say the site, as of right now, is a little bit contentious because of the current leadership. They even scared off a missionary who used to help there, and she got fed up with them. This was a woman who's done missionary work for 30 years, and I thought if you scared off a missionary, something's wrong. Um, From my own perspective, the current leadership talks more about antique furniture and clothing. And currently, they are even trying to make the bus tours that take you to the other Underground Railroad sites in Jacksonville. They are trying to make them not just about the Underground Railroad, but about all types of other historic sites. But that would take away from the point of the tour. Anyway, I am sort of rambling. So my mission when I am there is to tell the story from the laborer's perspective. That goes back to my out-of-the-box teaching style. I want to focus on what no one else is focusing on. One reason they don't do this, and it seems so silly to me, is because they say, well, we don't really know much about the laborers other than two of their names. My thought is, well, just talk about what a worker on a farm would have been doing in the mid-1800s. That's not hard. Anyways, I'll let you know what happens in regards to my career and this historic site. This is a complex PTSD guy signing off.